You're, you're, you're listening to the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Didn't you coach Burt Reynolds? Yes, I did. Was he any good? He was a defensive back. I know. Was he any good, I said. 103.9 FM LI News Radio presents The Weekend Crunch with Errol Marks and Speedy Petey. We are back, ladies and gentlemen, for a new show of The Weekend Crunch. I'm your host, Daryl Marks, and my co-host over there in Connecticut for today. Obviously, he's hanging out with his family. Thanksgiving. Hope everybody had a great Thanksgiving. Speedy Petey. Remember, you can listen to our show every Saturday from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. Eastern Time. Only on 103.9, the LI News Radio Network. Brought to you by New York Sports Team Magazine and the World Wide Sports Radio Network. I know, Speedy, you had a couple of things before we got onto the show that you wanted to get into for Thanksgiving, going home to see your family, and you'll be back sometime next week. How are you? How are your family doing over there in Thanksgivingville of Connecticut? Thanksgivingville. I do like that. But yeah, I, mean, I actually wanted to bring this up because I think it's something you would find funny. So off air, Errol, I like to do a lot of silly things, a lot of joking with certain type of humor. And my brothers, Ryan and Aiden, were both involved in the preparation of the turkey this year. And it was actually kind of funny because – during that whole preparation process, my youngest brother, Aiden, had the duty of going to the quote-unquote insides of the turkey. Hmm. So there were some of those humorous words that were involved that might have involved a sack and, oh, and there balls. Go. There you go. I feel very good and very pricey I on what you're talking so he, about. He just spurted out of nowhere. He, those words of the turkey. And my mother was like, you were going for those language? That's the, your choice of words? And she was just like freaking out. No, was... Good for mom. She's standing up for her turkey. I'm glad that your brothers actually listen to the show because if they don't, they would know how crazy and weird I could get. But I did not pluck a turkey. I did not uh, dig my hands into a turkey or clean a turkey out or do whatever you need to do to get a turkey ready for Thanksgiving. I did make Swedish meatballs. My sister made the turkey, baked ziti. There was just so much stuff that we had. I, matter of fact, I have stuff still on the counter I have to throw out because I didn't know what to do with it. I couldn't fit it in my refrigerator. I'm going to have to get rid of it after the show. But very, very happy to have you on the show. He's in Connecticut, so we're not in the studios live at 103.9. But we are live. And in color, I want to give a shout out to Sean Merriman, who is going to be joining us today. Sean Merriman, ex-NFL player, ex-linebacker for the San Diego Chargers and Buffalo Bills. He had a great career with San Diego. At one point, he was the best linebacker in football, all pro, pro bowl player, fantastic talent. He will be joining us talking about his up and coming MMA team. So that's going to be fun. I'm sure you guys are going to really enjoy the interview. Sean is a really cool down to earth person. So he's definitely going to be something that you guys are going to want to listen to. We will get into the New York Jets. Zach Wilson will make his return after the injury, obviously because of Mike White having COVID-19. Joe Flacco coming down with COVID-19. You look at the Islanders right now. I don't know who hasn't had COVID-19 on the Islanders. They're playing third-string players right now. We'll get into the Islanders a little bit later because I feel bad for the Islanders team because slowly but surely they keep teeling down. I I don't know how the Islanders are going to catch up to these teams in front of them. They're going to have to go on a big winning streak when they get healthy but uh, they've been horrible this year uh, the Rangers playing good hockey right now so a lot of the Ranger fans are jumping out of their pants because oh we're better than the Islanders just remember Ranger fans you know who is on your team so just take a step back you're playing good hockey their goaltending has been really really good Let's see what this team is going to do when the middle of a season where 
I guess you could say the meat of the games are going to start uh, falling together for the Rangers. So we'll get into the Rangers a little bit later. We'll get into the Knicks, who look good against the Lakers, and then last night looked horrible against the Suns. The Suns on a 15-game winning streak. They're the best team in basketball right now, as far as I'm concerned. They've been the hottest team in basketball. Uh, I know a lot of people are talking about Golden State. Uh, Let's talk about Chris Paul a little bit later, because everybody wants to put Steph Curry on the pedestal as the greatest point guard of all time. Why don't we start talking about the guy that went over there in Phoenix and took the Phoenix Suns all the way to the NBA Finals last year, okay? So that has a lot to do with Chris Paul and what he is doing right now in in Phoenix on why they're winning the way they are winning. So we'll talk about the Knicks uh, getting their butts whipped. We'll get into the Brooklyn Nets on what they're doing, which they're playing fantastic basketball. We expect them to start pulling away in the Eastern Conference because they're that much better than everybody else right now without Kyrie Irving, which is surprising. And when Kyrie Irving, if he decides to ever come back or if he comes back this year, this team could be as good as any team in the NBA. Fantastic. We will also get into baseball. There's a lot going on with the New York Mets. Not a lot from the Yankees, but the Mets adding some depth. I think a lot of Mets fans are very excited going into the strike season. I call it the strike season 2022 season so maybe there won't be a season maybe there'll be a half a season or a quarter of a season who knows with baseball so why don't we get into some football the New York Giants decided this past week to fire Jason Garrett and I know a lot of Giant fans have been jumping off the ledge with Jason Garrett with the offense Daniel Jones's growth as a quarterback a lot of people from the Giants organization believe by bringing in Jason Garrett he was going to help the growth and and the speed of Daniel Jones's growth coming to the Giants. Now, you saw what he did with Dak Prescott over the years with Tony Romo. He worked very good with young quarterbacks. And, and these young quarterbacks really did develop. Everybody keeps saying, well, Dak Prescott developed after Jason Garrett. That's not true. I think the stem of what Dak Prescott is today was from Jason Garrett. Now, I didn't think that Jason Garrett did a good job in the last couple of years as the Giants offensive coordinator. That has a lot to do with Saquon Barkley's health with Jason Garrett's, the way he likes to play the run first and use the throw second. So they didn't really have much of a running game, but it didn't make sense in the offseason letting Gallman go after what he did, taking over for Saquon Barkley last year and played very good. He was a very good running back for the New York Giants last year. The running back position has been good one game, bad the next. Good one game, bad the next. And then the wide receiving core. You spend a lot of money in the offseason. You bring in a second tier, and I'm going to say a second tier wide receiver from the Lions. And you overpaid for him because he didn't want to come here. And then you have Sterling Shepard who had a good season. And then you you decided to bring in Ingram. You were supposedly supposed to trade him at the trade deadline. You decide to keep Ingram. You get nothing for him. He's a free agent. There was a lot of mishap moves for the New York Giants. And a lot of people thought they were going to play hard against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, especially the last two years against the Buccaneers and how they've been in every single game. And Daniel Jones, his first win in the NFL was against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. So a lot of people thought going into that game that they were going to compete against Tampa and stay in the game. They were very wrong with the New York Giants because they got pummeled. They couldn't score. Daniel Jones looked like he was half himself. They fired Jason Garrett. They're looking for offense, and we don't know if Gettleman's going to be in position to be the GM next year. I don't think he will. And Joe Judge could be on his last leg being the head coach of this team where everybody thought he was great last year. He was up and coming. He was young. He was ready to be the voice of New York football. And now all of a sudden, I don't know where the Giants are with Judge. I don't know where they are with Gettleman. It could be the end for both. I think so too. Yeah, it's very possible. Garrett's the first 
straw to fall because I think Daniel Jones, even though his development has been better this year, I think that's more him in comparison to him not making the dumb decisions he made last year, him being able to sense pressure a little better this year and overcoming adversity where he has to spread the ball around because these other wide receivers haven't played well because Saquon Barkley has been hurt. Jason Garrett's offense, I still really doesn't think has evolved. I know you mentioned he helped Dak Prescott. I give him some credit with Dak Prescott, but remember Dak, his first two years with Dallas had like Daniel Jones this year really didn't have much to throw to. Zeke's not a pass catching back. Jason Witten's old. Des Bryant was injury prone and really wasn't the same player as what he was. Cole Beasley was really the only consistent target Dallas had. So I amount that more to bringing in Amari Cooper, drafting CeeDee Lamb, and getting like actually good receivers. Now they have one of the best cores in the league. Gallup, they drafted homegrown. I give that credit for developing those guys more. Whereas uh, with Daniel Jones, I think the same kind of thing. There, he's spraying the ball around where that offense, now he's a little better with the passing fluency. He's limiting the turnovers, and I give him more credit. Jason Garrett's offense just seems very conservative. And it's weird because in the first quarter of the Buccaneers game, I actually thought he was doing some unique things. He was sometimes bringing formations with three tight ends at different points in the backfield. Then he was spreading guys out three to a side. I actually thought he was doing unique things. And then this next three quarters of that game, he goes back to being his conservative self. I just don't think his offense is really built for the modern NFL, where there's not a lot of motion. I think the motion rate this year was second to last in the league. And that's going to hurt you in today's game. And especially with the Giants offensive line being as woeful as it's been, they got Andrew Thomas back last week. By the way, caught a touchdown, which was great. Mm-hmm. And they needed to be able to do more creative things. I don't think he ever evolved to that. Now, in terms of Judge and Gettleman, yeah, I think they could be out too. Judge was impressive last year, mainly because the Giants were supposed to be nothing last year. And they were actually somewhat competitive. They were 6-10. and 10. They almost won the division, a weak division, but still making the playoffs would have been a big deal. And Gettleman's had some good draft picks, but at the same time, has had some squanders as well. So it's a mixed bag for him. So I think both of them could be on their way out. And the Giants, I think, are going to start looking for a more modern identity when it comes to their offense. I think when you look at Joe Judge, really the lack of offense and the lack, really this year, where everybody thought this defense was going to be a lot better, bringing back Leonard Williams and giving him the contract that they gave him, he hasn't had the season that he had last year with 13 and a half sacks. I know it's still a lot of football left. I think there's seven games left where he has a chance to still put up some good numbers, but this year that defense hasn't been as good as they were last year. The offense and what this team was supposed to be was going to be more explosive, more defined as an offense. And with Saquon Barkley not staying healthy, and again, another year of no full season of him, it affects them. And I I think that Saquon Barkley could be on his way out too. I think the Giants have to decide is he worth keeping or even extending a contract to? He hasn't been healthy for three years. And I told Giant fans, and I'm going to go back and pat myself on the back again because I have said this over and over again. Saquon Barkley is a great back. He's going to be a great player in this league. And by the way, Tyler Harrison, do not compare him to Barry Sanders. It's something with the Beave and Tyler, (laughs) this feeling to compare these running backs to the greatest running back to ever play the game. It's ridiculous. There's no comparison to any of these guys. Zeke is nowhere close to Barry Sanders. He's closer to Barry Sanders than Saquon, okay? And that's not saying much. Except Zeke hasn't been the best performance running back on his own team this year. Yeah, they're far, far away from each other. There's no way they're going to catch Barry Sanders. And the fact that we've had people and guests on the show not even saying that Curtis Martin's anywhere close to Barry Sanders from these guys, it's a joke. But whatever. The fact is 
The Giants haven't had a really of a running game for the last three years. We don't know what the Giants are going to be next year, where they're going to go at the GM position, because I think Gettleman will be on his way out. This is the third year they haven't made the playoffs. So, I mean, that's telling you that they're never going to get into the playoffs the way it's going. That is the weakest division in football. Yeah. It's by far the weakest division in football. It's not even close. And right now, if the Jets were in that division, I would have a a better thought that the Jets could be a playoff team right now. If they were in that division, they could compete with Washington. They could compete with Philadelphia. It's telling you the Giants need to find a new GM and maybe a new coach and rebuilding again. And that could be another four or five years again. I've told Giant fans over, over, and over again, when Eli Manning retires, you are going to regret it because all you naysayers that thought that Eli Manning wasn't going to be or isn't the player that you thought he was. He won two Super Bowls for the Giants in, what, five years? When was the last Giant to do that? Oh, I'm sorry, Phil Simms. And Phil Simms, he wasn't even one of the guys that did it for the one of the years. Hostetler was. So I don't want to hear about all you Eli Manning haters. Eli Manning is the greatest quarterback to ever come out of the New York Giants organization. It's not even close. And for all you giant, a.k.a. Eli Manning haters, grow up. As far as the Jets are concerned, the return of Zachy Wilson. And I say Zachy because the kid is the kid. And I didn't think that the Jets should bring him back as quick as they did. I think they should have sat him out a little bit longer. This offensive line has a tremendous amount of injuries. Morgan Moses could be out for a significant amount of time. I don't know if he's coming back this week. It didn't look good. It's really been Elijah Vera Tucker who's really taken over on that offensive line. Where are you going to put Elijah Vera Tucker? Are you going to put him at the tackle position? I think you keep him at the guard position. You don't want to move him around. He's a rookie. You want him to understand the position that he's playing, especially going into his second year where he could be more dominant. If I was Zach Wilson, I'd be worried. I know they're playing the Texans right now, the Houston Texans. The last couple of weeks, the Houston Texans have looked good as a football team, and they haven't been pulverized like everybody thought they were going to be this year. Mills looks like he could be a quarterback in this league. They're getting a pass rush, something that the Jets haven't had on their side of the ball. So the Texans could absolutely win this game. I'm not going to be surprised if they win this game uh, against a rookie quarterback that's coming back from his major injury this year. Is still learning the game, learning the speed of the game. So I'm worried for the kid. I hope they set up some protection for him. Maybe play with two running backs or two tight ends on the field uh, to protect this kid because if they don't, this kid is going to have a very bad day, Speedy. I think this is a game, though, where at least if you're going to ease him back, I know the Texans have played hard. Like They're not a very talented team, but they've played hard this year. It's still something you want to ease him back in comparison to starting him right away with like the Patriots or the Bills or something like that. And then all of a sudden have a tough time getting his confidence back. You need a game to get his confidence back. I'm not saying you have to go crazy game plan wise because yeah, the, the spring PCL, he might still not be able to roll off on that leg and do motion plays like that. Cause Mike LaFleur's offense is very motion heavy. And I, I don't know if that's the way to necessarily work him back in. Cause he's playing obviously with the other two QBs having COVID-19. So it's not like, I don't know how healthy he really is. I, this is the fourth week technically so this was the initial diagnosis the end of it so this is when he was supposed to come back healthy but is it a guarantee that he comes back healthy no but again it's i think it's a good way to ease him back in at least where you don't have to go too crazy jets have advantages with the wide receiver position at least on paper that you would think that they should be able That's to not saying advantage. much i know but the texans secondary is nothing special yeah you're right their pass rush has been good this year with a lot of the young players that they drafted the last few years but it's still not a great overall defense where you can say all right 
the Jets really have to do all this extra stuff to game plan them and out coach them to win the game. And I think it's a good way for Zach Wilson to be eased back into it, where especially now with Carter now being out, he's going to miss two to three weeks, which is terrible. They're probably going to have to use a lot of the other backup running backs. So he's going to be throwing the ball a lot more, but also again, throwing the ball a lot easier where it comes to, they can use the pass catching type running backs too, with Coleman, with Ty Johnson, and just kind of ease him back in rather than having to force his hand. I think that really stands out as Elijah Moore the last couple of weeks. He's really slowly, but surely is showing you why the Jets were very lucky to get him in the second round. He was a first round talent on a lot of people's boards, including my and your speedy. A lot of people thought that this kid was going to be a highly profiled uh, wide receiver in this league for many, many years. The first couple of games with Zach Wilson, we really didn't see it. Really, the last three or four games, he has like four touchdowns. Last week, he had his best game of his career, 140 yards, one touchdown with Joe Flacco. You see how explosive this kid could be in the future. The Jets could have their number one wide receiver for a very, very long time. So I think the Jets are positioned to win for the future at that position. So hopefully, Elijah Moore could be the secret to their juice for their offense in the future. When we come back, ladies and gentlemen, ex-NFL star Sean Merriman here on the Weekend Crunch. We are back, ladies and gentlemen. As you know, this is the Weekend Crunch. I'm your host, Daryl Marks, my co-host, Speedy Petey. Remember, you can listen to our show every single Saturday from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. New York Eastern Time only. On 103.9, the LI News Radio Network, brought to you by New York Sports Team Magazine and the World Wide Sports Radio Network. Remember, you can download our app by going to iOS, WWSRN, or Android. Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Guys, Lady of Namek. If you haven't heard the song Tory Lanes, this track is fire. Check it out. However way you listen to your music, check out this track. It is a great, great track. Uh, Man, I'm looking forward to interviewing this guy. As you guys know, we are now talking to ex-NFL superstar, ex-Charger, ex-Buffalo Bill, and now MMA fighter, Sean Merriman. What's going on, Sean? What's up, guys? How you doing? We are good, man. First of all, let's go to Fubo Sportsbook. Tell us a little bit about what you're doing with Fubo Sportsbook and how you're moving forward with it. Yeah, so my MMA league is Lights Out Extreme Fighting on Fubo Sports. So we got a big fight coming up December 10th at the Commerce Casino, and it'll be live on Fubo Sports. You can check out all the other fights that we've had. It's on Fubo Sports, too. They're always running them back. So uh, check that out. And then, yeah, Fubo Sportsbook, man. This will be big for me because I've been, <laughs> you know, I've been waiting to announce this and kind of talk about it a little bit, and I'm glad I'm launching it with them. When my producer put it on a piece of paper, I thought it was Fubo. I said he's working with LL Cool J. It's funny. I get that a lot. But more people, like, they just crossed over a million subscribers, aggressive acquiring content. They're growing like hell. We're the top three most watched program on there ever. And so for me, it's cool because I've been around the sport of MMA for 16 years. And then now to be kind of on this side of things has been great. I'm a huge fighter. I do a sports show. Well, right now we put a little hold on a sports show because my partner actually had a partial heart attack. So we haven't done our MMA show. We 
We've been all over. We work with a lot of great fighters. We've had a lot of MMA, UFC fighters on our show and Bellator fighters. And I actually have a black belt in judo and kempo, and I have a purple belt in Brazilian jiu-jitsu. I was a boxer for almost eight years. So I know a little bit about fighting, and I loved what I see with you, your workouts. I've been on your social media and how hard you work out and that you have such a love for the sport. So it's great to see a lot of these ex-NFL players, Greg Hardy being one of them too with the UFC. A lot of these ex-NFL players are starting to move into UFC combat sports. And that's one of the things that I've been concentrating on this past year. The pandemic slowed things down a little bit, but I want more former athletes from other sports to transition into lights out, into MMA. It's coming. You know, we started to see Greg Hardy has some success, and regardless of what anybody think about him personally, right. this guy's only been fighting a couple years and, like, going against guys who've been training for 15 years. It's legendary because we just have something about us when we transition to the sport. We just have to pick up the discipline, right, and learn, <laughs> like, what to do. You get in there, all those muscles and everything don't matter if you don't know how to use them. And someone is just better technically sound than you are. Mm -hmm. Over this past year, we got some big announcements coming up. We're we're announcing some former athletes, former NFL players that's transitioning and going to take their first amateur fights with us. So that's going to be cool. Well, I love what they're doing right now. They're trying to bring basketball players into boxing now. Thank you, Jake Paul. Frank Gore, too. I mean, it's crazy. Frank Gore's a house. It's crazy the way a lot of these ex-athletes are starting to move to combat (laughs) sports. Maybe they think that they compete because of their athletic ability. Some of them could. Some of them are great fighters, a.k.a. Herschel Walker. Everybody remembers Herschel Walker. He's still funny. But you know what's funny? Everybody always want to bring up the one person that got knocked out. So I tell them about (laughs) MMA and they're like, oh, Johnny Morton. And I'm like, why why don't you bring up Herschel Walker? Bring up Greg Hardy. Some some of these like legit guys. Bring up the one guy to get knocked out. That's because everybody thinks they know fighting. They watch MMA and they're like, they know everything. Conor McGregor, all the great fighters. But there are a lot of great fighters that nobody's ever heard of. And they're starting to move up. And obviously Bellator is starting to push their fighters out to the UFC to try to compete. Michael Chandler being one of them. So there are fighters starting to maneuver in different combat sports and stuff like that. So my question to you is, tell us a little bit about your career with the Chargers. Obviously, you played with Drew Brees. You played with Phillip Rivers. You played with a lot of great players. So tell us a little bit about your path as an NFL player with the San Diego Chargers. So, you know, when I got drafted, obviously I was the youngest drafted player, I think, at the time ever in the NFL. And you don't understand you're walking into the locker room with Drew Brees as your starting quarterback and Phillip the backup. Like, you can't even fathom that. And I look back on it now knowing that Drew Brees is going to be a Hall of Famer. And in my opinion, Phillip better be one too. <laughs> you know, you play on a team. With two Hall of Fame quarterbacks. And you walk on the team and LT's there, Lorenzo Neal, Donnie Edwards, Brandon Garfrey, all these guys. And you're like, man, I played with some of the best guys in football. So every day, man, it was a competition. You couldn't do anything wrong in practice. You, They would get on you continuously and just couldn't get beat with one-on-ones. It was just nonstop competition every single day. So I want to move on to the coach now with Marty Schottenheimer coming in, one of the longest tenured coaches in NFL history, one of the winningest coaches in NFL history. What was it like playing for him like as a person and also as a coach? So he called me the day of the draft. He drafted me and he said, hey, you ready to be a in San Diego Charger? And I was like, yeah, you know, you guys ready to draft me? I'm ready to get to work. So I came out there. Marty was one of these guys that tough as nails, right? I mean, he's always on to you and stuff like that, but you know he cares. And so sometime in practice or trying to say training camp, when we had the double days, like two practices every single day back to back for like three or four weeks, like nonstop. And he'll come up and pat you in the back and say, hey, you know, take this drill off, stay out of this drill. 
And you're like, man, damn, he's cool. This is awesome. And then the next day, he'll line you up right in Oklahoma drills. He was just tough on you, but he was like the ultimate motivator where he made you want to run through a wall. Like, he made you want to run through a wall no matter what. And we always used to have this bet because he gets so emotional in the team meeting rooms that if he cried before a minute or two, then we all would be trading hundreds and fifties under the seat. I miss Marty, man. He was a big part of me just learning how to be a pro. And, and man, we are talking to former Chargers and Bills All Pro linebacker Sean Merriman. Check out Fubo Sports Books, Light Out Extreme Fighting, the fight team of Sean Merriman's. I'm definitely going to be looking it up because there's a lot of fighters out here, a lot of good fighters that are starting to grow in the amateur divisions that want to go pro, and they're going to be looking for teams in a very short future. So a team that's starting to grow over there, Lights Out Extreme Fighting. But 2006 was the year. That's the coming out party for Sean Merriman, 17 sacks, one return fumble. A little bit about that year and what was going through your head when you considered the best linebacker in all of football. You know what's crazy is after 05, when I went to the Pro Bowl and had all pro defensive rookie of the year and stuff like that, it kind of puts you on the map. And I talk about like Chase Young, all these guys who have a big first year and to get you in the map. And then like, it's so hard that following year because they coming in and preparing for you. So I remember talking to Junior Seau at the time and a few other like Ray Lewis. And I was having a conversation with all these guys. And they said, look, I'm just letting you know. And Ray's telling me like, they're planning for it. They got you marked out and this is what they're going to do. They coming. I remember the offensive coordinator or was the offensive line coach of the Eagles at the time in 2006, walked up to me in pregame and said, hey, by the way, you ain't sniffing Donovan McNabb. Like, basically told me I ain't touching Donovan. And guess what? I ain't touched Donovan. They threw everything at me in the kitchen sink. Slide protection, fan protection, chip off the edge. Tight ends are hitting me before they go out in routes. I was like, man, this is like World War 20. This is <laughs> this is insane. And I learned how early on during that offseason to start playing against the coordinators. Down in distance, when can I, like, jump and snap? What tendencies can I get from the quarterback? What hash mark are they in? How much time left? So I started playing that game instead of the offensive tackles and people in front of me because that didn't matter. They were never going to block me one-on-one. So I had to start playing against the coordinators. Who was the toughest offensive lineman you ever played against? Or maybe even a team offensive line if they had different guys block you. Who was the toughest that you ever played against? That I played against, I would say Walter Jones. And I've seen Orlando Page, Willie Rofe. I've seen Marcus McNeil, who doesn't get yep. a lot of credit. But I've seen him every day in practice. That was just a whole nother beast. But in actual game, Walter Jones, man, that people don't understand how big and athletic and how good his feet was as an offensive tackle. He get his hands on you and it's a wrap. It's done. That play is over. He was big and he was nasty and he can pass block too. So I would, if anybody, man, I would say Walter Jones. I know a lot about fighting. I watch a lot of fights and I try to look at ex-NFL players, ex-NBA players that I think would be great fighters just because of their athletic ability. And one of them you mentioned who you played with. LaDainian Thomason is a freak of nature. He is fast. He's athletic. His ability, his work ethic, his stamina, everything that you learn in MMA, the breathe technique, everything. This is a guy that when you watch it, it was workout plan when he was playing football, running up hills and tying bricks to his back and running. And this guy was running all day up and down the hills. When you look at a player like that, I believe guys like him, Russell Westbrook, anybody look at Russell Westbrook and his workout plan? These guys are beasts. They're freaks of nature. And that's what you need to be as a fighter. So if you were to look at ex-NFL players, ex-NBA players, or even players right now, who do you think would fit in the UFC or Bellator or mixed martial arts in fighting professionally? I'll start off with LT. I took LT to hit mitts and stuff with me one day, and I was in his sparring. This is during the offseason. And I saw him hit mitts and, and kind of move around. And he can go. I was shocked. I was like, oh, damn, El can go. But I think the current players, like, I would love to see a Khalil Mack getting off like the K1. 
age. If he learned how to sit on punches and he learned his ground game and how to defend takedowns, who's going to stop that? No one. <laughs> he's too strong. He's too explosive. I think Francis Ngannou, he has like that build, right? Mm-hmm. I seen Francis the other day yes. in the gym. And I was like, dude, he looked like a DN. Like, he looked like a <laughs> defensive big. end. He's a big man. He's a big dude. Yeah. And so when I look at these guys, I think Aaron Donald, if he ever decides to lose 20 pounds and fight at 265, I think he would actually cause physical harm to somebody in there. <laughs> Yes, he would. Uh, Cam Chancellor. I know he's retired. If he ever watched this, I need to get a hold of him. He's another guy <laughs> that I think will just deliver Hurt a lot somebody. of punishment to people. And the thing is, with us, we have this mentality that mm-hmm. to do it, you just have to learn the craft of right. it. You're not afraid of work. I can tell you, scary looking at a 6'6 or 6'7, 360 pound office alignment. Mm-hmm. That's scary. Not somebody my size. So you get these guys, they have the intentions to go in there and do well. And a lot of these small guys, they're going to tap you out in less than 30 seconds. My first time learned I had a 180 pound wrestler take me to the ground and I could not get up. <laughs> it's unbelievable. I could not get up. It was the most humbling that ever happened to me in my life. I left the gym and I was sitting in the car for a minute just trying to figure out what in the hell just happened to me, right? <laughs> I couldn't get up. You know, this guy was a three time Division One AA champion. And then he was 182 pounds and I could not get my big ass up off of the ground and I could not figure out why. Record Roman wrestlers are the best fighters in the world. I don't care what anybody says. You could be a five degree black belt in Brazilian Jiu Jitsu. These guys, when they get you on the ground, they get on top of you. They control your body and your strength so perfectly. You won't be able to shift your body because they have control that you can't shift your body. It's unbelievable. You can't get in guard. You can't get in half guard. They're so strong. Their upper body strength is unbelievable. As you guys know, we are talking to former Chargers and Bills All-Pro linebacker Sean Merriman and now mixed martial artist, team owner, lights out extreme fighting. It's great what he's doing for the sport. My question to you is, we're watching the linebackers now. You're watching the whole league to try to change the game and, and we we saw what you did. We saw what Lawrence Taylor did in the 80s and the 90s. And then kind of transitioned to Ray Lewis, you, Sean, and all the different roughneck linebackers that we saw in the early 2000s, mid-2000s. What do you think about the linebackers now, the faster, more athletic linebackers that you're seeing? Some of these linebackers are running 4-4s and 4-3s. It's absolutely ridiculous how strong and how big these guys are and how fast they run. They had to change a little bit with the style of the game, right, with them throwing so much. Guys have to be able to play all three downs, not come off the field. Back in, I guess, my time and a little bit before my time, the trotters and all these people, they were first and second down guys. And the third down, you had to bring in your small guy. So now you're looking for that 235-pound linebacker who can run in coverage and move around. And also, they don't have to come off the field. So that's where the game has come from. You got a couple rough ones still out there. Khalil Mack, he can play at any era. From now to 1960, Khalil Mack is playing. It's a few other ones. It's not a whole lot, but there's some guys out there that can line it up any day. Another aspect of that is the trash talker. You play, especially as a pass rusher position, a lot of trash talking between the defensive line and, in your case, outside linebacker and offensive line. So who is one of the best trash talking rivalries that you had, maybe in a division rivalry or a team you played a lot like the Colts or the Patriots in the playoffs? And also, who was the main trash talkers on your team? Was it you? Was it somebody like Sean Phillips? Was it Jamal no, Williams? We, uh, we somebody like that? We all know who's the best trash talk on our team. Is That's Phillips. There was no better trash talking. He never stopped. It wasn't just for the cameras. He was like that when the cameras went off in the thumb wrestling match in the locker room. It did not matter. Phil was talking. He wanted to compete 24-7. As far as the rivalry, even though I didn't talk back and forth with him that much, it was probably Tom, where I always kind of just gave him an extra glance and just bumped him a little bit more on the way by and just always was a pain in his ass because he definitely was a pain in ours. If that was the rivalry, probably that was the biggest one. 
But you got to think, too, man, I played in the AFC West when Kansas City had Priest Holmes and Willie Rolfe and Brian Waters, Tony Gonzalez, and they had Dunn, Jason Dunn, that people don't even talk about it, was just another massive human being at tight end. I think they just kept him at a block being that division. Like, they just – that's why he was there. And they would just run the ball 35, 40 times a game. Tony Richardson, the fullback, they would just line up and just see who wanted to play football today. That's it. I think that was the only thing they were trying to do. Tony's a fan of the show. We've had Tony on a couple of times on this show. So Tony's a good guy. Really, really nice guy. He is. We are talking to former Chargers and Bills All-Pro linebacker Sean Merriman. Again, he's promoting Lights Out Extreme Fighting, his fighting brand, his company that he's building right now. A lot of amateur fighters or future pro fighters that want to come and join. We got pro. It's all Uh, pro, too. So there you go. You guys have an opportunity. If you want to join a good fight team, another real up-and-coming fight team, go to Lights Out Extreme Fighting, Sean Merriman's team. So Jalen Rams, we've talked about fighters and different guys that you would love to hate. A lot of guys love to talk crap. Jalen Ramsey, I think he would be great to try to promote and push into a Jake Paul card where he could fight somebody. Because I just want to see for once, maybe him and Josh Allen, the one he called him, the GQ Pewee, whatever he called him. Didn't Josh Allen wrestle? Mm -hmm. And you know, because you're in a sport, most wrestlers transition easier than anybody else, Mm -hmm. right? Because you can always learn how to strike. But what do people rely on when they get in trouble? Mm -hmm. They're wrestling. wrestling. Coincidentally, look, I'm taking Josh Allen now. I'm taking taking Josh Josh Allen. Absolutely. And I want somebody to take this clip because I don't care if Jalen Ramsey hears it. Josh Allen would beat the living you-know-what out of Jalen Ramsey. Josh Allen is a sweet, caring guy. He's one of those quarterbacks that you just a great arm, always quiet. But let me tell you something. Looks are deceiving. And just because he's quiet doesn't mean he can't fight. And so, what about the Josh Allen versus Josh Allen in the octagon? Well, Good that's that. different. I mean, you got a guy that's going to try to pulverize you and hit you. But that doesn't work in the octagon either. Look at Brock Lesnar. Brock Lesnar yep. was a good fighter. He was a great wrestler. He used his wrestling to be dominant in the UFC. And he was. For like three or four fights, he was. And he beat Mir, great all-around Brazilian jiu-jitsu artists. But when you fight good fighters like Randy Couture that's going to wrestle you and play your game as a Greco-Roman wrestler, you're going to lose because he's going to be able to compete with you throwing punches. And that's because Brock Lesnar thought, hey, you know what? I'm bigger. I'm stronger. I'm going to beat him. That doesn't work in MMA. you got to be smarter. It's a game. It's technical. It's like playing chess in football. Everybody says, football's a chess game. That's what the coaches do. What do you think fighting is? It's a chess game. That's why you love it. I know. That's why you love it. (laughs) One particular play and one particular game. What was your favorite one in your career and why? I would say play my rookie year against the Indianapolis Colts. I got Peyton Manning by the legs. I got him three times that game, actually. The one particular play, I like swiped his legs and just took his legs from my... Now, I'll get arrested for doing that. But then I swiped his legs. One big tomahawk swipe and I hit him and his legs just flew right up in the air. He was completely off his feet. And he got up and didn't know what the hell happened. Was that the six um, interception game? The game you guys forced him into six interceptions? I think so. No, no. That was a Sunday night game. This was in 05. This was at their home. I would say the best game is Monday night football against the Raiders in 06. I came out like a bat out of hell in those guys. Like, I already hated the Raiders. And then I hated them more because Marty Schottenheimer, like, instilled in us to hate the Raiders. Like, I don't know what he did to us, especially me. Like, I came out like I just thought they were the devil. Like, I'm going to rip everybody's heads off. And I came out flying. I think I had four five sacks that game and I didn't play much of the fourth quarter and I'm sitting over there screaming the way he feels to D coordinator I didn't want to go out because I wanted to break Derek Thomas sack record and I was like man just let me break the damn record on these guys they're Monday Night Football like let me do it please 
<laughs> and they took me out the game. We are talking to former Chargers and Bills All-Pro linebacker Sean Merriman. Last question. I know your workout plan. I do pop it on Snapchat here and there. I see you in the gym and you're doing your thing. So I know you're pretty busy. Your workout plans. To me, what I've seen of you in the last couple of years, I know a couple of years ago I saw you at the Super Bowl. You were doing Radio Row. What are you doing right now with your workout plans? Are you building a workout plan video for people to actually check out your style, the way you work out, the way you keep your body in shape? Because, dude, for a guy that's out of football for as long as you have been, I think you've been out of football for, what, seven years, eight years? Yeah. And the shape that you are in, it's incredible. Because I see a lot of these football players, they lose all this weight. They look scrawny. I don't know what happened to them. Maybe they go on this crazy, I'm going to drink water diet. But you, you're still big, you're still strong, and you're still working out. So what are you doing? Are you doing something like that? The MMA has helped out a lot. When you play as long as I did, and I'm not talking about just NFL, like college, high school, boys and girls club, peewee league. So you start a long time. Your body, there's no way for you to go do all the same workouts you did when you played football. You can't do it. So the MMA has definitely helped me to stay like competitive, keep my weight down, being able to open my hips and be able to move around and overcome like some big, stiff, pounding weights all day and can't move. And then I mix in a combination of circuit training and a little bit of weights, hot yoga. I do two, three days a week. It's really the consistency of it. People think you got to go in the gym and have like these amazing Olympic workouts every time you don't. You're just like, hey, work out four days a week out of the seven. Stay consistent. You'll stay in shape. I know it sounds easier said than done, but for me, it is. It's like I go and I roll out of bed 6, 630 in the morning. I hit the gym and then I get my day started at 830. It's just normal for me. So one teammate, either with the Chargers or with the Bills, that was your favorite guy to hang out with or talk to you. And best story, a good story that comes with that player and why? I would say Lo Neal, man. Lo Neal was my guy. We had a pretty tight this team where you didn't have people hanging out like with just certain groups and like we all hung out with each other but low nail man he was believe it or not my rookie year he was my workout partner i think he was in his 12 or 13 year at that point and i couldn't keep up with him low nail was just on another level but i remember one of the times he was a rookie dinner we got into it just talking back and forth on basically who can take more shots and we both had drank 19 shots that night and i remember it was the worst hangover i think i've ever had in my life i think i slept in a hotel dresser i took the tv off and slept in the dresser that night but after that, we had this truce. We had this thing called brother-in-law because we would clash and practice and try to hit, it, knock each other heads off. Just challenge, challenge, challenge. And it was just such a pleasure being around O'Neal. But we had the brother-in-law that thing. As you guys know, former Chargers Bills All-Pro linebacker Sean Merriman. Sean, tell the fans how they can find you. Tell them how they can find Lights Out Extreme Fighting if they want to fight or reach out to get some apparel from your organization. How they can find you guys on social media. Yeah, if you're a former athlete, definitely reach out through DM, whether it's on Twitter or Instagram. It's at both at Sean Merriman. Reach out. It's at LightsOutXF. LightsOutXF.com is the company. And check us out, Fubo Sports. Catch all the fights there. We're live December 10th coming up. Got a huge card that we're going to announce Monday or Tuesday. We just can't wait, man. I love it. Well, I'll tell you this. When I bring back my MMA show, I would love to get you on the show and talk a little bit of MMA, kind of way away from football because you're now an MMA guy. So one question and we'll let you go. Dirtiest player. When somebody is in a pile, who was the dirtiest player you ever played against that is going to come under the pile and say some of the most raunchy, disgusting things to you? John Ryan. I remember John Runyon. And look, that's my guy now. He actually finished his career off of the Chargers, and I love him to death. He's a super cool guy, but I hated playing against him. If you stand across the pile or anything, he was taking you right over. When they say play to the whistle, we play to the whistle, then, you know, two seconds after that. So you got to watch out. Oh, man. For John a team Runyon. in an opposite conference, you brought up those Eagles teams a lot. <laughs> <laughs> I remember John Runyon. I would never, when you look at John Runyon, you wouldn't look at him as one of those guys that are just, like, vicious. You would think Ray Lewis, even though Ray Lewis was so energetic and what he does on the field. All 
also Terrell Suggs, the way he talked on the field. When I was on the field when I got a chance to go a live game and I listened to Terrell Suggs, you can hear him all the way on the sidelines talking the crap that he was talking. And he really put up. He definitely did when he went out there. But, Sean, thank you for joining us. We'll definitely want to get you back on again. We'll reach out to you very, very soon. Thank your publicist for letting us get you on. I know you're a very busy man. Absolutely, man. Thanks for having me. Sean Merriman, ladies and gentlemen. Boy, oh boy, Speedy. The information that he gave us, not only about his past as an NFL player, but his fight team. Definitely check out his fight team all over social media. He is awesome. We're going to definitely get him on the show in the near future. Fantastic interview, Speedy. Really one of the best interviews we've ever had. Definitely one of the best. Always love the former NFL players in particular that have joined us, but definitely with the MMA too, adding a whole unique element to it. A lot of funny bits of the hypothetical fights. Jalen Ramsey, Josh Allen, Khalil Mack, all these new players are going to throw it. Cam Chancellor, he called you out. He he definitely called Cam Chancellor out. And by the way, Jalen Ramsey too, because he admitted that Jalen Ramsey couldn't fight. (laughs) We got to cut that clip out and actually post it all over social media because I want Jalen to actually see that. I want to send that to Jalen Ramsey on his Twitter. That would be really, really fun. I would love to hear what he has to say about Sean Merriman. So shout out to Sean for joining us. He was awesome. When we come back, we will be making our picks of the week, our free-for-all picks of the week, and we will get into some Major League Baseball here on the Weekend Crunch. We are back, ladies and gentlemen. As you know, this is the Weekend Crunch. I'm your host, Daryl Marks, my co-host, Speedy Petey. Remember, you can listen to our show every single Saturday from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. New Year's Eastern Time. Only on 103.9, the LI News Radio Network. Brought to you by New York Sports Team Magazine and the World Wide Sports Radio Network. Download the World Wide Sports Radio app by going to WWSRN on Apple or Android. World Wide Sports Radio Network. Oh, Sure. <laughs> Shout out to Sean Merriman for joining us. He was awesome, ladies and gentlemen. So, Sean, thank you for joining us. I know you have a busy schedule with everything uh, that's going on in your MMA team values, if you know what I mean. So, shout out to Sean Merriman for joining us. We're going to do our free-for-all picks of the week. So, Speedy, are you ready? I am ready. All right, here we go. Score update. Nobody got any points last week, so you are still up by three. Woo! We'll start with the 8-3 Tennessee Titans at the 7-4 New England Patriots. The over-under is 43.5. Go ahead. I'm going to actually take the Titans here. I think they'll bounce back. The Patriots, long week. I think they have a little bit of a letdown. I think the the, the long week affects the, the momentum that they had. The Titans, I think they lost to the Texans. I think that was the ultimate look-ahead game. The Mike Vrabel versus Bill Belichick storyline. They beat them in the playoffs. Obviously, no Derrick Henry this time around. But I think the Patriots offense, I think they're a little due for a little bit of a letdown. The Titans defense has played well this season. So I'm going to take the Tennessee Titans. I'm going to take them on the under. Close, low scoring game. I I do not have the Tennessee Titans. This is the Patriots game to win. This is in New England, obviously. Tennessee has not played well. They don't have any running game. They decided to move away from Adrian Peterson. Where are they getting their running game? This is a running team. Running team first. Bro second. You cannot rely on Ryan Tannehill's arm to win you the game. So I, I think this is a big mistake for the Tennessee Titans. I think this is the New England Patriots game. I think they're going to be able to run against Tennessee. I think they're going to be able to throw against Tennessee. Mac Jones looks better and better every single week. Give me the Patriots on the under. Minnesota Vikings at the San Francisco 49ers. A 49ers game, the over-under is 49, ironically. 
And I'm going to take the 49ers in this one. This is, this is going to be a close game. Both these teams have played very well. Big game for the wild card races. Uh, I just trust the 49ers defense a little more. It looks like they're finally getting back into form. Nick Bosa is playing like his former self, Fred Warner, playing phenomenally again. And the Vikings, I don't know if they're going to be able to run the ball the same way as they've done the last couple of weeks. And the pressure with that offensive line against that Niners defensive line, I think it's going to be tough. And the Niners offense has started to bring it into form too. The Vikings defense has played well too, but I'm going to take the 49ers close game. I'm going to take them on the under. I'm going to go with the 49ers too. The fact is, is they're at home. Jimmy Garoppolo has looked good the last couple of weeks. So I think he's been the guy that they're going to be depending on is throwing the ball, especially moving forward for that last wild card spot. Minnesota has played well too. They beat Green Bay last week. But being that they're in San Francisco, like you were saying, their defenses look better, a little bit more recharged. So give me San Francisco on the under. All right, last game. L.A. Rams at the Green Bay Packers, the over-under 47. I'll go Green Bay. They're at home. Close game in the cold. I think it'll definitely benefit them. The Rams being a warm-weather team. They might get Jair Alexander back, too, which is going to be a big boost for a defense that still played very well. Matthew Stafford has had his troubles throughout his career against Green Bay, and they obviously know this experience. And even though Jalen Ramsey and Devontae Adams will kind of cancel each other out, I still think I still trust the Packers in terms of getting other weapons to get it going. Odell has still not had a success yet with this Rams offense. I know a bye week to prepare will definitely help. But the Packers run game I trust a little more. And the Rams had trouble stopping them in the last couple of weeks. So I'm going to take Green Bay. I'll take them on the other. I'm going with Green Bay, too. I, I think the fact that they're home, it's going to be very cold. It could be snowing over there in Green Bay. We don't know. There is a storm heading this way, so it might hit them before it hits us. But, again, I, I think the fact that Green Bay lost against Minnesota in a close game last week, I can't see Aaron Rodgers losing back-to-back games. I think the L.A. Rams, they're still one of the best teams in the NFL. I don't believe Odell Beckham is going to be there yet. So give me Green Bay on the under. And those, ladies and gentlemen, are our free-for-all picks of the week. I will say this. There are a couple of really good games this week. With the Bengals playing Pittsburgh. I know everybody keeps saying Pittsburgh is not a playoff team. But guess what? If Pittsburgh beats the Bengals this week, Pittsburgh's right there with the Baltimore Ravens. That was my runner-up game. I was toying between that and the Vikings and the 49ers. But I just found it funny that the 49ers over-under was 49. Yeah. (laughs) Well, uh, the 49ers have an opportunity. If they can win this game, they're going to be right there in that wild-card spot. And they could sneak into the playoffs. They could be a very dangerous team. Now, uh, Jimmy Garoppolo has played well the last couple of weeks. So that's a good sign if you're a 49ers fan. But again, this could be the last year you're going to see Jimmy there because Trey Lance is going to be taking over one way or another. That's what they gave up all those picks for. So don't expect Jimmy. But I, I could see Jimmy going to a team next year where they're looking for a quarterback for the next three or four years and maybe Tennessee because Ryan Tannehill might not be the answer. He's not. And if this Tennessee team, falls out of a playoff spot and quite possibly could happen. Seriously, losing Derrick Henry. Derrick Henry was a terrible loss by them. It really is. Now, they're saying Derrick Henry could be back before the end of the season, which would be a huge opportunity for them. But they're saying he's out for the season. And if he's out for the season and they don't have him for the playoffs, I can't even see him making the playoffs right now. I think they lose against the Patriots back-to-back weeks where they lose. They haven't played good football. Yeah, I'll have to see if the Colts can stay hot. That's their competition. Now, the Titans do swept them for the season, so they'll have head-to-head. But two games. Let's see if the Colts can make up. Absolutely. Why don't we get into some baseball? And, and I'm going to let you. Speak about the moves yesterday from the New York Mets, adding Sterling Marte, adding a second baseman. It looks like Javier Baez might be on his way out. A lot of 
Met fans are probably saying good riddance because of the thumbs down or whatever he was doing. Him and Lindor's relationship, a lot of people believe, could affect the team moving forward. I know there's a first baseman is not going to be happy about this on the Mets, but I'm sure we'll hear a lot when Javier Baez decides to uh, decide where he is going. But what are your thoughts with the Mets moves the last couple of days? I actually like him, believe it or not. I was skeptical with the GM at first. With I know he's going to spend money, but a lot of the bad contracts he gave out with the Angels, a lot of the times having trouble developing depth. And that was the, it seemed like the first thing he targeted with the Mets, which was a good sign. Now, you're right. They might not get bias. It seems like Detroit's been in the market for giving him a bigger contract than the market gives. I've heard the Red Sox have had interest in him too, among other teams. It's going to be a bidding war, but the Mets got a good good compensation. Eduardo Escobar, he's an older player, but he's still been good throughout his career, but can play both second and third. He's had five different seasons of 20-plus home runs, and four of them are coming in the last five years. So a guy that could definitely move around. They have Brett Beatty waiting in the wings for third base, but if they don't get by as a, you play him at second, you still got McNeil. Hopefully he can bounce back. Eduardo Escobar is a much better upgrade with that. Mark Canna is a nice player for the guy from Oakland. Not a high batting average guy, but a good on-base percentage guy for somebody who's only been a probably a 250-something career hitter. And good power, could steal some bases. Play a little center field. Didn't play much of it in Oakland because Ramon Laureano is a very good defensive center fielder, but is capable of it. And the Mets do need a, a pure center fielder. I like that. Only $13 million a year. Not bad. He has a player option for the third year after this after the two-year deal so that's a nice move and then Marte was obviously the big one I don't think it was really that bad 19 and a half million average annual value again he has been injury prone at times throughout his career but the Mets when's the last time they've had a great pure center fielder and that probably goes back to Carlos Beltran they've had good defensive specialists I guess per se but Marte is a very good well-rounded player can steal bases hit 310 last year 289 career hitter he's had some good power years not great power years but good power years but I don't think the Mets really need power they need somebody like that somebody that can hit situationally for good batting average because really the Mets lack especially if somebody like Lindor stays down like he was last year I don't know if he'll be as bad but hitting 230 expecting to hit 300 again I don't know Mets so far, they've done very well. I, I was worried Epler was going to overspend for one guy, but they're prioritizing depth, and I like it. Well, remember, there's a strike year, and this has an opportunity for a lot of these players to take less money because they want the contract before the strike happens, where it could put those players or other players without a contract and could be sitting without a contract for the next three, four, five months. And these guys, they depend on their money. They depend on their families, helping their families and and producing to their families. So these guys are going to take less money just to jump on because we don't know what the strike is going to bring. Now, it could end early, but everything that we've seen so far and with the rules changes and the different additions to Major League Baseball. I think this is going to be a little bit longer than we expect it to be. I think we can miss probably 30, 40 games uh, for the regular season because it's going to take a little while for the Players Union and the MLB Union to agree with some of these rules and some of these add-ons, especially in the National League with uh, the DH. So... There's a lot of things that could change this year. We're also talking about electronic umpires. There's just so much going on. And and I think the Mets did make some good moves in the last couple of days. And I think they really solidify what they're looking for. What does this mean for Mets fans? Well, Conforto is gone. I know uh, Speedy is very excited about that. but Canada's definitely an upgrade over Conforto. uh, Absolutely. He's going to be looking for a job elsewhere. Maybe the Yankees, if they want to add another outfielder, he's not going to get a lot of money if he wants to stay in New York. But I don't see the Yankees doing that because they're so solidified. They've solidified themselves in the outfield. They're very strong there. I think their weakness is their infield in the offseason. So I expect the Yankees to make moves. The Mets needed to solidify their outfield. Their infield is one of the best in the league, even without Javier Baez. This is a very
very good infield. McCann is a good defensive catcher. He was up and down offensively last year. It really did affect uh, their offense. And when they needed a spark behind the plate, they didn't get it in the times that they needed it. Like you said, McNeil, I don't think McNeil's going to have the year that he had last year. He couldn't stay healthy. And then when he did play, he didn't hit for the average that we expected him to because he's a great hitter and he has a great eye. And he struck out a lot last year, which we were very surprised about. And Lindor getting all that money in the offseason last year. If you're a Met fan, you better hope that Lindor doesn't start the season from last year going into this year. You need Lindor to start strong. You need him to play as good as he did in the second half of the season where he can get out of the slump and get out of the position where Met fans are telling Steve Cohen that you made a big mistake overpaying him and giving him a 12-year contract worth about $340 million. So all you Met fans out there, I'm not a Met fan. I'm a Yankee fan, as everybody knows. You should be very excited. I think Steve Cohen is going to open up his pockets. He's going to spend the money, and he's going to make sure that this team is competitive uh, where they can compete with the World Series champion, the Atlanta Braves. And who knows what Atlanta's going to do in the offseason because they did not sign their prestige first baseman. He is still available, and the Yankees are licking their lips because that's who they're gunning for. That's why you haven't heard anything with the Yankees, and you never hear anything from the Yankees really until the end of December, early January. And I think with this strike, the Yankees are going to win. I believe Brian Cashman, moving forward, is going to sit back. He's going to relax. He's going to wait until all these teams make their moves. And before the strike, he's going to pounce. Because if the Braves do not sign Freeman by February, I don't think they're signing him at all. Which means that the Yankees will have an opportunity to give him the contract that they believe he's worth. And I think he's going to get $30 million a year. He's the best first baseman in baseball. It's not even a question right now. He hits for average. There's no first baseman that hits for average like he does. He hits for power. He hits over 35 home runs, 40 home runs. He can give you the power that you need in Yankee Stadium. Could hit more in Yankee Stadium because of the short porch. He's got one of the best gloves at first base in all of baseball. So I know you lose Rizzo. Maybe you bring Rizzo back on a cheap and have both of them playing first base back-to-back, one game after the other. I I don't know how the Yankees could do it, but Rizzo's not going to be expensive. I don't think the Yankees will do that, but Rizzo's a guy that perhaps if they can't get Freeman, he's a good backup player that they can bring in, and, and Rizzo is a great first baseman as well. Did not play well at the end of the season, which affected the Yankees' uh, approach getting into the playoffs. So I think with the Glaber Torres thing, keep him at second and decide what you're doing at shortstop. Now, Volpe looks like he's their best farm system player, top 12 farmhand right now in baseball. He's a guy that I think the Yankees are going to be bringing up either this season or next. He is the future shortstop for the New York Yankees. They have another shortstop in their top six who they really, really like too. So the Yankees have two really good shortstops in their farm system. So if they bring in a Corey Seager, I think that makes a lot of sense for the Yankees. You bring him in for a year or two, give him a $14, $15 million contract, maybe even less because of the whole strike thing. Maybe you can get him for two years, $22 million, like you got for DJ LeMayu for the two-year contract they got him from Colorado, and look what he did for him. I think you can get Corey Seager on a cheap, bring Volpe up, let him learn behind Corey Seager, and you know, move him back and forth, and you can move Corey to second base too. And DJ LeMayu, move him to third base. If you want to bring Gio Shella back to be a backup player, he is not a starter. He had a couple of really good seasons filling in for the Yankees. He's not a starter. And I think the Yankees are realizing that now. Losing in the wild card game against Boston, he hits very well in the clutch. But in a full season, 162 games, I can't trust that Gio Shella is the guy that you want to play at third base. It's interesting what the Yankees could do with the infield because I think definitely first base is going to be the big target in terms of just catching free agent. 
Freeman, if they don't get him, I think they will bring end up bringing back Rizzo. Rizzo, he's not going to make the length contract that Freeman's going to get just because Freeman's just been consistently better. But Rizzo, I think, is still a top five first baseman. I think you're right. His batting average hasn't been as high as Freeman's in his peak years, but he's still very good defensively. He still has the good swing for lefty in Yankee Stadium. And I think that'll still be the end of being the priority. I think the Yankees, most of their free agent priorities are going to be on that. And then they'll be on the pitching for the rest of the time, get some starting pitching depth, bullpen help, whatever it is. They just need some level of pitching depth. Here's another scenario, too, that you mentioned with the infield. I know you mentioned playing LeMahieu at third. The other experiment, too, depending on when Volpe's ready and even if they bring another veteran shortstop, you could even try him at shortstop, too. He's such a good defender at such the other positions. He just never gotten the chance to play shortstop. He had Troy Tulowitzki when he first came up playing shortstop in Colorado. Then it was Story. So, you know, everyone blocking him or he really never gotten the chance. So that's another option if, say, Volpe's not quite ready yet or maybe they don't get Seager. And then maybe that expands their options where they could maybe put Gallo in certain stretches of third. They, I know he's not a great defender at third, but it just gives them options if they want to bring back your shallow, or even if they want to sign another veteran option for third base or Seager over there, something like that. And I agree with definitely though, keeping Torres at second because his arm and his mental game, it just has some kind of issues with when he plays shortstop. But when he plays second, he seems, just seems a lot more comfortable. And even hitting wise, he seems more comfortable. Oh, so. huge. And by the way, when he moved to second base it, during the season, he was almost a 300 hitter right. uh, at shortstop. Stop. He was what batting two twenty two. I mean, yeah, uh, in he baseball, distracted. yeah, it seems like he's more pressured to make the throws and make the plays at shortstop because it's the harder position to play on the field where he's concentrating on his defense and not concentrating on his offense, which is strength. And if the Yankees don't get Freeman and bring Rizzo to the team, I think Yankee fans will be very upset because not the fact that they don't like Rizzo because I think Rizzo is a good player. The problem is is that uh, looking at what the Mets are doing right now and making all the splash moves. The Yankees not bringing in Freeman and giving the Yankee fans a splash. It's showing the Yankee fans that you're not willing to spend. And the Mets are going to spend. And that is going to be the back-and-forth banter moving forward with the Yankees and the Mets. The fact is, the Mets have the richest owner in baseball, and the Yankees are the richest team in baseball. The Yankees should be the team that's fighting for the players, going after the players that they want. I, I don't think, as a Yankee fan... You want to go after anybody in the outfield. You got four quality players that can hit for a power and play defense. Uh, I think you have to look at the infield, the two positions that are so very important right now. And I know a lot of people think it's shortstop. It's not. I think it's more first base. And catcher. I think catcher is very important. They got to decide if they're going to keep Sanchez for another year. I can't see it. If they can arbitrate him and they can't really move him. And it's a crazy because he hits for, I mean, as far as home runs are concerned and power. I mean, the guy gives you 20 to 25 home runs every year. Gives you about 60 RBIs. How many catchers do that in baseball? One, two yeah. guys? Not many. I think Sanchez would fit better in the National League. With the National League rules and the bunting and all that other stuff. I think he's better off in the National League because I just think he fits the National League game. Now, if the DH comes in into play, it could affect the National League game. But just like other catchers over the years, a.k.a. Met catchers, that have moved on and gone other places that have been better and become all-stars. So I'd like to see Sanchez be successful. I know Brian Cashman loves him. He's one of his favorite guys. But... I think Brian Cashman and Yankee management believes that he's weighed out as welcome. I think the, what's interesting about the Sanchez market is because a lot of catchers now are specialists either one way, either offense or defense, but 
rarely do you find somebody that's great at both. It'll be interesting to see how much are going to be intrigued by that kind of thing. Cause his defense has still been a flaw throughout his career. It really hasn't grown at all. The bigger problem with Sanchez, I think has really been the regression of batting average. And if you're going to be an offensive catcher, you want to at least have a competent enough batting. I'm going to say he has to be a 280 hitter, but at least hit tolerable. He's hit 204 this year, 147, last year 186 in 2018 that's i think the bigger issue and on base percentage too only two seasons over 300 that's i think the bigger problem when you're striking out a lot and you want to you want to be relied for on your offense and trading for for your offense you need to get that better Mm -hmm. when we come back ladies and gentlemen we'll get into some hockey uh the new york islanders they're not healthy barry trotz is itching his head and hopefully the islanders will get healthy before you know it, and get back on track. But they're slowly but surely disintegrating. They're one of the worst teams right now in the Eastern Conference. And the Rangers, one of the top teams in the Eastern Conference, who would have thought that the Rangers would be where they are right now? Uh, That has a lot to do with Gallant and that defense, that team defense. When we come back, we'll get into that here on the Weekend Crunch. We are back, ladies and gentlemen. This is the Weekend Crunch. I'm your host, Errol Marks, my co-host, Speedy, Petey. Remember, you can listen to our show every single Saturday from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. New York Eastern Time only on 103.9, the LI News Radio Network. Brought to you by New York Sports Team Magazine and the World Wide Sports Radio Network. Download the World Wide Sports Radio app by going to iOS, WWSRN, or Android. World Wide Sports Radio Network. Speedy Petey. There's really nothing bad to say about your New York Rangers right now. They're playing great hockey, getting great goaltending. Galan has really have them working on every bit of the piston of their engine because uh, they're moving on so much force, timely goals. They won that game against Buffalo with three or four seconds left of the game, playing fantastic hockey, team hockey. What Ranger fans have been craving for years, how do you see this team moving forward? This team has impressed me in a lot of different ways where you're getting new players contributing. And that's why Gallant was brought there. He did it with Vegas with an expansion team right away. And while nobody should expect the Rangers to be that kind of like fluke uprising the way Vegas went to the Stanley Cup the first year, you know Gallant is good at working with different types of players. And the team is definitely more physical. You're seeing a lot of these third and fourth line depth guys step up this year. And even defensively too, newer guys emerging. We've seen a better year this year from Ryan Lindgren. Uh, Keandre Miller's definitely looked better. And even the forwards defensively, I think have looked better as a whole. And that's a big difference of why the Rangers are better defensively. I'm not saying they're world-class. I'm not saying they're top 10 or anything like that because they're still allowing a lot of shots on goal. But when Igor Shosturkin has played, he's been fantastic as well. Where the Rangers, I think as well, could trust those guys to do that because of how well Shosturkin has played. Now, when Georgiev plays, it hasn't been the same. He's had a rough year so far. And the Rangers might have to consider uh, going back to King or something like that. The Rangers have no need for it right now. They're still winning right now. And the top line guys, Panarin's starting to score some goals. He had a great goal against the Bruins on Black Friday. We're seeing Kreider still having a great season. 15 goals in 19 games to start the year. And that's a good sign even for the top guys too. So Gallant's doing a lot of different things. But I think the, the physicality and the defense with forwards, I think are the biggest keys for him. Also, the Rangers are winning at home. Something that they had problems with last year. Uh, 5-1-1. They're playing great hockey. Like you were saying, Speedy, uh, they're getting timely goals. Goal scoring is up right now with 60 goals. Uh, Their goals against 54. And then you look at the Islanders and you step back and you think this team was a Stanley Cup competitive team. A lot of people picked the Islanders to win the Stanley Cup this year. 
Uh, so did I. And right now, they're one of the worst teams in the NHL. I mean, 17 games, 5-10. and 10, They have a losing record. One of very few teams have a losing record in the NHL. The first 14 games did not have a home game. In their first four home games, they're 0-4. This could be the first team in NHL history to start off at home, losing four of their first games at home. It's crazy where this team is at right now. But with the COVID-19 situation, they have like eight guys with COVID-19, bringing up some of the young players. Uh, Salo is look good. Aho has looked good in certain aspects. But then losing Pulak for, for six weeks with the injury that he has. Defensively, they haven't looked good. Offensively, they can't put the puck in the net. I mean, they have 32 goals in 17 games. They've been shut out quite a few times in their last couple of games. They can't put the puck in the net. And this is a huge problem because we have been saying this. Where are they going to get the offense moving forward? I mean, we expected them to make a big move to add with Barzell, an offensive talent, to give them that aggressive push offensively on the first line. They didn't make it. And, and, and I think it's a huge mistake not bringing Tarasenko in the offseason. Now, uh, they could bring Tarasenko at the trade deadline. I can't see St. Louis right now trading him. He's playing good hockey right now. As he gets better, as he plays better, it's going to be more to trade away to bring in a Tarasenko. He does want out uh, with St. Louis. And right now, when, where you look at the big picture with the Islanders, Speedy, the strength is their defense, and their defense is just no good right now. Yeah, and I think the bigger problem, too, is you're having all the young guys defensively trying to start in roles they're not used to as much. I noticed in particular in the game against the Rangers when – a lot of their youngsters were playing either Salo playing the second line or the second pairing and then Dobson being upgraded to the first. They just, they just didn't seem comfortable with it yet. Like they're used to it. Like they have the set roles with Pulak and Pelik being the number one defensive pair. And I think moving other guys in, they just really didn't look comfortable against the Rangers top six. And even some of the games against the Flames who have a good top six as well. Toronto, obviously we know how much talent they have. It's just tough to throw them in right away. And those younger guys just don't seem comfortable. And you mentioned Chara as well. He's looked old. He's 44 years old and he's kind of looked it so far and he's had to play because all these other guys are out and maybe the young guys have to start playing his minutes or limiting the minutes, something like that to make it work in terms of the offense. They might need to actually go with a different option. Yeah. You brought up Tarasenko and he might still want out of St. Louis. I can still believe that. And I think St. Louis believes that if they can get the good offer, they're still going to trade him anyway, because the blues have won games without him in the past with all these injuries too. He's played well himself this year, but the Blues aren't winning just solely because of him. They're bouncing back because of the goaltending and the defense getting better, more stuff like that. But I think the Islanders, maybe the better option for them might be getting two guys, two younger guys that might not be as costly. Brock Besser from Vancouver is one that was mentioned, and they're having a rough start to the year. The Coyotes have a couple young players that they can consider that are good offensive players. They might need to get multiple rather than just trying to swing for one guy just to fill out that top six a little better because they have the center depth for sure. They have guys that would face offs. Obviously, Barzell's a tremendous playmaker, but they might need a couple wingers to really compensate for that rather than just trying to swing for one. Tarasenko is seeking a trade. Yeah. Um, out of St. Louis. Uh, I mean, everybody says it's still uncertain what he wants to do, but then another article came out that he still wants to be traded. So he is probably going to get traded. He has two years left on his contract, worth about $5.5 million. It's a pretty good contract uh, to bring in uh, a talent that uh, that good. I think that the Islanders, if they bring in somebody like a Tarasenko, that can absolutely solidify their first line. Andrews Lee has not had a good season coming back from the injury that he has. Barzell is not scoring goals, which is it affects the whole offense in 
really the speed of this team. So I am not surprised right now of the way the Islanders have played. But I'm also very surprised with the injuries that are just falling and COVID bug that's affecting them. It it really has hurt them. I was very surprised, Speedy. The NHL allowed that Ranger game. I thought they were going to cancel that game with the COVID situation that they have right now and with, uh, what, six or seven players out. But the NHL did not want to do that. And I think it's affecting the Islanders right now. They're not 100% healthy. They're not playing good team hockey. Uh, They haven't had the full team on the ice really until the first Really weak of hockey. Pulak got hurt after the first week. He's been out ever since the second week of hockey. This offense is not clicking because Brock Nelson's out. Bailey's out. This guy's out. That guy's out. Uh, You know, they, they can't stay healthy. And... It's a huge problem right now. And Paul Mary, who I thought was going to be a good signing, has really done nothing this year so far. They need to wake him up. The offense needs to wake up. Barry Trotz needs to open up his offense. If there's anybody that can do this, It's Barry Trotz. I'm not going to sit back and say, oh, the Islanders are in trouble because they do have the best coach in the NHL. If there's somebody that can figure out where they're going to find offense or where they're going to figure out when they get healthy, where they're going to be able to put the puck in the net, I think it's going to be him. Now, like you said, Speed, they need to add multiple offensive players to this team because they're just not getting the offense that they need. If you look at the Rangers, they're getting offense from everybody. They're young players. The players that you wouldn't think that you were going to get offense from, they're getting offense from. They're playing good all-around team hockey play. And I want to see that from the Islanders. You talk about the depth that they had defensively. They have depth, and you can see it with Salo. Salo is going to be a good player. Aho could be a good player, a trade piece for the Islanders moving forward. Especially now with other teams struggling that weren't supposed to struggle too in the Eastern Conference as well. Lou Lamorello, we've seen him trade with other Eastern Conference teams. So I think the Islanders still are going to seek that aggression in comparison to some other borderline teams that might be afraid to make that kind of move. We've seen Lamorello trade with the Leafs, the Devils. The team's in division. Them and the Penguins, a lot of former players from there, too. So I, I think they still have an advantage when it comes to that in that front where Lamorello is going to make those kinds of moves, too. And even in the Western Conference, too, we've seen a lot of disappointing teams this year to start the season. The Pacific Division's had a couple of them. Again, even a team like Vancouver, a team that two years ago took Vegas to seven games in the Hub City playoffs, and now all of a sudden they're struggling. Brock Besser, I don't know if they'll trade Elias Pettersson. Arizona, another young team that's starting to make a leap. They could get somebody from there. Or even a veteran like Phil Kessel maybe is another option for them as a sniper. So they have options, too, definitely to get multiple now because I think the depth is more important at this point. They need offense. They're not scoring enough. They got shut out by the Penguins the other day. Jari, if Jari is shutting you out, there's a problem. They scored one goal against the Rangers. You can't win scoring one goal a game or getting shut out. In the last four games, I think the Islanders have been shut out twice. You can't be an NHL team if you can't put the puck in the net. And it's a huge problem. You can't blame the goalie Sorokin. Sorokin's played as well as you can possibly play as a goalie. And Vlamov has looked horrible. Horrible. So we know who their goaltender is in the future. Starting most of the games this year, it's not going to be Vlamov. It is going to be Sorokin. And right now, if you look at Sorokin's record, 5-6, and six, his goals against Howard's is really, really good. 2.42, his save percentage, 0.928 is really, really good. 13 games, but he's 5-6, and six, and he has two ties. It's not his fault that the team isn't winning. They're not scoring goals in front of him. If they're not scoring goals for him... They're not going to win. Sesterkin's goals against average is almost the same. Sesterkin's team is is giving him the points and the goals in front of him. That's helping him win these games and giving him the opportunity to win these games. But I just think it's horrible what we see right now for the Islanders. Yeah, he's faced already this year individually 415 shots, made 385 saves. So that's almost, I would say, 36 shots a game on average. 
much. Mm-hmm. That's a lot. Yeah. It's been horrible. And, and when you look at Shesterkin, he has a 2.22 goals against average, which is only 22 over yeah. working, and a .933 save percentage, which is only like, what, five-tenths of a point from Sorokin's save percentage. So you see what Sorokin is doing. He's keeping his team in the games. But you can't win if you can't score. And that's a huge problem moving forward for the Islanders. Hopefully, Lou Lamorello and Barry Trotz has this figured out because you cannot move forward and expect to keep falling out and losing a ninth game or a tenth or a twelfth game in a row and expect that this team is going to make the playoffs. When we come back, ladies and gentlemen, we will get into some basketball. The New York Knicks, they're back and forth. They play a good game, play a bad game. They play good defense, they play bad defense. Julius Randles is still the icebreaker for the Knicks, and what I mean by that is he has a good game, and then he looks really, really bad, and he is not the closer that Knicks fans think that he is. When we come back, we'll get into the New York Knicks and the Brooklyn Nets here on the Weekend Crunch. And Tom... We are back, ladies and gentlemen, for another show of the Weekend Crunch. As you know, my name is the Big E, Errol Marks, and my co-host, Speedy Petey. Remember, you can listen to our show every single Saturday from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. New York Eastern Time, only on 103.9, the LI News Radio Network. Brought to you by New York Sports Team Magazine and the World Wide Sports Radio Network. Download the Worldwide Sports Radio app by going to iOS, WWSRN, or Android, Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Oh, French Montana. If you guys haven't heard of the new French Montana album, fantastic album. If you're a hip-hop fan, and if you like underground hip-hop, you like French Montana. His new song, F-W-M-G-A-B, fantastic track. Check it out on his new album. Speedy Petey. Are you ready to get into some basketball conversation? Because New York basketball is not as bad as hockey, that's for sure. Uh, New York hockey, there's a good team, and then there's a bad team. With New York basketball, there are two good teams, two playoff-bound teams. One team dominating the other team. They play one good game and one really bad game. So why don't we get into the Knicks right now? Because obviously we have a lot of Knicks fans out here on the island. And when you look at the Knicks right now, Speedy, I want to ask you a question before we get at my, my assessment of the Knicks the last couple of games. When you look at the Knicks right now, what do you think first of the New York Knicks? Overworked starters for the most part. I think that's the biggest issue right now. We've heard criticisms of the past of Tom Thibodeau tiring out his players, but nothing like to the extent of this. I think they had five players already that have played 240 something minutes combined already this year, which they were saying is the most in the league by at least 20 minutes. And for a team that's supposed to have depth, they got to use it more. And I think that's been the biggest flaw when it comes to getting these players to be more consistent. Fournier started strong and he's had his bad stretch. Now RJ Barrett had his great stretch where he was the best player on the team. Now he started to fall off again. Emmanuel quickly started slow. Now he's been very good. So they've just been a little too inconsistent in that regard. And I think a lot of that has to do with the getting worn out right away. I think right now, being that the Knicks are 10 and 9, and you look at Philadelphia, which we knew Philadelphia was going to fall, especially with Doc Rivers as the head coach. As everybody knows, I'm not a Doc Rivers fan. We look at teams like the Charlotte Hornets. Charlotte Hornets are 13 and 8 right now. Who would have thought that the Charlotte Hornets would have the record that they have right now? LaMelo Ball has looked really, really good, and this team is slowly but surely working and playing on all pistons. And even Atlanta has played very well. They've won 7 yeah, in a they've row. they've won 7 in a row, yeah. They're scoring by the clip. They're super 
superstar player is is shooting the threes and making the plays players around him better. When you look at the I Knicks, play the Knicks today, you would hope that the Knicks are going to go out and go out strong against him. Is it in New York? We've been no, talking about this. At Atlanta. So looking at Julius, he's not a closer, and, and it's a huge problem right now because the Knicks don't have a closer. You can't depend on Fournier. They can't depend on Walker. They spent $116 million in the offseason, which obviously took a pay cut. I don't know Knicks fans are going to say, well, he took a pay cut. He could take a pay cut all he wants. If he's not doing the things that he, he is expected to do as an offensive player, there's a huge problem. And right now, they don't have a closure with the last four minutes of the game where you, Julius Randle is forcing up shots in certain aspects of the game. His numbers look really, really good, but he's shooting 25 shots a game at the clip. You don't expect to win like that, Speedy. I think it's a huge problem because they don't have that other guy and that other option that they could fall and put the pressure on if they need it. Yeah, he's put up good assist and rebound numbers this year. And for his shooting, yeah, just more efficiency would be nice. Because for a guy that's supposed to be not necessarily the primary ball handler with the two point guards that they have, for a guy that's not supposed to be the biggest rebounder with Nerlens Noel there, with Mitchell Robinson, even Taj Gibson, he's still putting up those numbers, yet it seems like he gets such cold stretches where he loses confidence and can shoot the Knicks out of a game. And that's where you want him to be more of a facilitator. They brought in all this wing depth to improve their overall three-point shooting. And the Knicks' pace of play offense is not the fastest. The Knicks are still more of a defensive team. The additions they made in the offseason were at least to get the offense where they were top half of the league, where they could shoot threes more effectively. And if Julius Randle is taking bad shots early in the shot clock, contested ones for no reason, it's not a good look for the Knicks. Barrett, it looked like he had stretches where he was improving his three-point shooting. Get him the ball in the corner a lot more. Fournier has good range, good distance, where they can get even some of the bench players that they have. And now with quickly heating up, get him the ball more on the three. You don't need to be the scorer and the facilitator would do everything. He's getting near triple-doubles a lot of the game, but that doesn't necessarily mean you have to shoot 26 shots you could shoot 18 and still have that same kind of effectiveness get 21 and make everyone else around you better and stop wasting the possessions the way you did where you're also going to wear out your defense inadvertently too if you get in all these scoring droughts and it seems like the knicks get a lot of those especially coming out of the half and also starting the fourth quarter a lot of the time too and a lot of that is because of them and tom Thibodeau looks like he's a deer out of headlights i don't say in the headlights because he's out of the headlights i don't know what the hell is going on right now and tom Thibodeau, after the game when the press talks to him he doesn't make any excuses but he's got a lot of problems there's a lot of problems right now and if this locker room is not playing together, it could cause a lot of stir as the season progresses and this team completely falls out of a playoff spot. Now, I don't know if that's going to happen. I think the Knicks are still a playoff-bound team. The way the playoffs are going to be set up again this year, where you're going to have to be a play-in team, the Knicks are going to be a play-in team this year. The way Brooklyn is playing, they're the one seed, it looks like. Also, Chicago playing great basketball right now with the players and the acquisitions they made in the offseason. They're 13-7. and seven. Miami's 12-7. and seven. The Wizards are 12 and who would have thought the Wizards would be 12-7? and seven? But that's a lot to do with some of the acquisitions that they made. Is Bradley Beal going to be a Boston Celtic next year? Why would he go to Boston the way he is playing right now on a playoff-bound team? Boston's not even—they're a borderline playoff team right now. They're 10-10. and 10. Boston yeah, they need is, more than wing players right now. I mean, why would they need Bradley Beal? I know that's what Jeff wants from Tampa, but— why would they need another wing player that could score and hog the ball? I mean, you right. got two of them. You got Jalen Brown, and you have obviously Tatum. So you don't need another guy that's going to be optional that's going to have to demand the ball. They need a big man. I know that they're talking about making a trade with the Timberwolves. Now, Carl Anthony Towns has been the name 
That's been uh, popping up. And right, which is what I recommended for them two weeks ago. Now, if they trade for Carl Anthony Towns, they're going to have to trade one of their guys, Jalen Brown or Tatum. There is stories coming out that Carl uh, Anthony Towns wants out with the Timberwolves, with A-Rod running the team and Loria. They're probably going to look to move some of these guys. Edwards looks like that guy that they're going to build the team around. So Carl yeah. Anthony Towns is a, is a guy that is going to be available to a lot of teams, a.k.a. the Knicks too, if they're looking for an optional big man that can score and shoot the three and do the things and, and the superstar player. But is he the closer that the Knicks need? I don't know if he's the, yeah. the closer. The Knicks need a closing guy, a guy that if you give the ball, and by the way, Damian Lillard has played a lot better in the last couple yeah. of games. So a lot of people attack in Portland, but Portland slowly but surely is 10-10, and 10, They've moved up to the 6th seed right now in the Western Conference. And by the way, when you look at the Eastern Conference and you look at the Western Conference now, over the years, it's always been the Western Conference, the powerhouse, and the Eastern Conference, the weak. Now this year, it's the East powerhouse. And then you look at the Western Conference as the weaker. The East has 13 teams within like six games of each other. Detroit and Orlando are the only like terrible, terrible ones. But the Pacers, who are 13th, are silly six back of the first place nets. You look at the Western Conference after the Timberwolves, I mean, 8 and 12, 6 and 13, 5 and 13, 5 and 16, 2 and 16. Uh, we starting to see the shift that the Eastern Conference is becoming more of the dominant division than it is the West. And remember, over the years, it's always been top-heavy the East right. and weak on the bottom. Now it's top-heavy on the West and weak on the bottom for the West. So you see the difference, and that's why you look at the Brooklyn Nets right now. They're playing fantastic basketball. Kevin Durant, to me, he's the MVP right now of the NBA. I don't want to hear about Steph Curry. If you want to start putting Chris Paul there, look at what Kevin Durant is doing for his team right now. He's giving you offense. He's even passing the ball right now. He's been fantastic all season long. He's averaging five assists a game, the most he's ever had in the beginning of a season. He's 28-7-5. He's been fantastic. He's been one of the best offensive players in the league, 33 years old, coming back from his Achilles injury that he has, and everybody thought he wasn't going to be the same player. Speedy, he has been absolutely fantastic for the Brooklyn Nets. Carrying the load when a lot of other players have been down this year. James Harden had that rough start to the season. He's playing better now, but rough start to the season. Joe Harris has had not had the same season. Obviously, no Kyrie Irving, so they've had to really patchwork that together with Patty Mills. So Kevin Durant's really had to do everything on that team to create a dynamic offense, being the ball handler a lot more often than the Nets probably want him to be. I think as a whole, it's really both affected his game in terms of the stamina, but also elevated his game in terms of, like you were saying, being an MVP candidate and probably the MVP leader right now with what he's had to do with this Nets team and merging them with that big winning streak right to the top of the Eastern Conference where they had that rough start to the year too. And Mm -hmm. the Eastern Conference has been a lot better. They've beaten a lot of quality opponents this year. They've won close games, which really wasn't their strength last year when it came to those tight games, especially on the road too. And that's been a big reason for Durant to elevate his game as a whole too. When a team like this lacks the depth on paper, it's an older team, especially with the big men, veteran guys that have been not necessarily washed up, but not what they used to be. Well, if you look at Steph Curry right now, he's averaging 28.4 points a game, which Kevin Durant is averaging more. 5.8 rebounds a game. Kevin Durant is averaging seven, so he's averaging more. Assists per game, 6.9, which Kevin Durant is averaging 5.3, so only one assist less 
than Steph Curry is right now, and he's a point guard. So to me, if you were to look right now who the MVP of the league right now is, it's not even a question. It's Kevin Durant. I know Golden State right now is 17-2. and They have the best record in basketball, which, by the way, everybody that says Steph Curry doesn't have a team around him, that's a joke. I don't want to hear it anymore. They don't even have Klay Thompson in the lineup yet, and this team is 17-2. It's not because of Steph Curry that they're winning. He's averaging 28 points a game. The other players are scoring. He's got five players averaging almost 20 points a game. That tells you how much depth that team has. Golden State is one of the teams to be watching, especially with Klay Thompson coming back. But to say that he doesn't have a team behind him is ridiculous and a joke. It could be hard for the Warriors just to remove Jordan Poole out of his starting spot. I mean, it's ridiculous. Jordan Poole is averaging almost 19 points a game. Otto Porter is playing great basketball. He's giving you quality minutes. They're getting quality minutes from all these guys. Andre Iguodala is a big part of the team. Andrew Wiggins. Have quality guys giving you the points that you need to be a winning organization. So I'm not surprised. I mean, this is a really, really good team. And they're moving on all cylinders. And by the way, Phoenix is right behind them. 15-game winning streak. And watch out for Chris Paul because we were talking about Steph Curry and Kevin Durant. Chris Paul is is right there with them. I mean, averaging 14 points a game, three rebounds a game, and 10 assists. This guy is the epiphany of what you want as a point guard in the league. He makes everybody around him better. And for anybody to put Steph Curry in front of him as the best point guard in the NBA, or let's just say the best point guard, top five point guard of all time, I would put Chris Paul in the top five over Steph Curry any day any place. So when you have a guy that can play defense, can play offense, makes everybody around him better, I'm taking that point guard. Chris Paul, to me, is the best point guard in the NBA. He still is. And it's not even an argument. He makes everybody around him better. And that is what a point guard does. That is what a point guard is. So I don't want to hear any more about Steph Curry because he averages 28 points a game and he's this, he's that, and he's so flashy that Chris Paul isn't as flashy as him. He's not scoring. He's scoring like, what, 15 points less than him. He's not better than him. He, he's a better all-around player at the point guard position, and he's the guy. If I want to build my team around a point guard in the prime, I'm taking Chris Paul over Steph Curry any day. When we come back, ladies and gentlemen, Speedy, what do we got? Debate Wars and Crunch Time! Here on the Weekend Crunch. We are back, ladies and gentlemen. As you know, this is the Weekend Crunch. I'm your host, Daryl Marks, my co-host, Speedy Petey. Remember, you can listen to our show every single Saturday from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. New York Eastern Time, only on 103.9 the LI News Radio Network, brought to you by New York Sports Team Magazine and the World Wide Sports Radio Network. Download the World Wide Sports Radio app by going to iOS, WWSRN, or Android World Wide Sports Radio Network. <laughs> what a show today, man. Shout out to Sean Merriman for joining us. He was awesome. Gave us so much take on what he's been doing since he's left the NFL and what he's doing now with his fight team, workout plan, and all that other stuff. So shout out to Sean for joining us. Speedy, are you ready? Yes, it is time for Debate This is the Debate Hour. And now in this corner, your host, Errol Mars. And in this corner, who gives a sh- all right, we'll start in the NBA this week. 
Who is a better point guard all time, Stefan Marbury or Tim Hardaway? Go ahead, Speedy. I'm going to take Tim Hardaway on this one. I think between the tougher era and I think just better longevity as a whole. I know Stefan Marbury is dominating in China the way he is now. I think NBA longevity-wise, Tim Hardaway, I think definitely has a great three-point shooter and a kind of pre-three-point shooting era. Obviously still existed, but still wasn't as prominent back then. I know he played with some good talent around him, but I think his longevity got better. Where Marbury, once he left the Timberwolves, he had a couple fluctuating years with the Knicks, so that was it. I'm going to go with Hardaway. I'm going to go with Steph Marbury. Marbury was uh, the better all-around player, I think. I think what Marbury has done, not only he here in the NBA, but in China has been fantastic. He's been the better all-around player. Unbelievable all-star for all those years. He was a top point guard in the league. Even when he went to the Knicks, he was still a top point guard in the league. So I'm going to go with Steph Marbury. Better goaltender, Marty Turco or Mika Kiprasov? I'm going to go Kiprasov on this one. I know Turco won the Stanley Cup with Dallas. I understand that. I think his peak years were better in the first four years of his career. But I think Kiprasov's longevity was very impressive. Had a lot of goals against average years with a below 2.5, whereas Turco at the end of his career had a lot of ones over three. He was a Vesna Trophy winner with Kiprasov. I think he still was, I think, a finalist two other times at his peak as well. And the Flames were never a great team. They had some good years, but they were never consistently great. And Kiprasov kept them afloat. So I'm going to go with him. I'm going to go with Turco. Turco with Dallas, what he did, winning the Stanley Cup. When you win a Stanley Cup, you can win all these trophies and all these prestige awards. If you don't win a Stanley Cup, what's the point of playing in the league? Turco was a very good goaltender. He had very good winning seasons. Was a, still a top goalie for like five or six years in the NHL. Very dominant in those years. So I'm going to go with Marty Turco. Better defensive tackle so far in their career. Nadalikin Sue or Geno Atkins? I'm going to take Nadalikin Sue in this one. I know Atkins has more sacks. I think by 10 or something like that. But I don't think he's had the same overall game since Marvin Lewis has not been with the Bengals. Or Sue, since he went to the Rams, he's went to the Buccaneers. In a 3-4 defense, I still think he's been very good. Really, Miami was his only bad stretch. And for a guy that's been a 4-3 guy his whole career, to be able to evolve. I know talent around him helps, but to be able to evolve in a 3-4 and still play very well, I'm going to go with Sue. I'm going with Geno Atkins. I know I, a lot of people blow up Dominic and Sue and what he was with the Lions. He was nothing with the Lions. The Lions were in a winning organization. Either was Cincinnati, but Cincinnati has been in the playoffs, and Atkins was a real big part of why they were a playoff team under Marvin Lewis. So when you look at... Cincinnati and what Atkins did for Cincinnati at the top of his game, I'm going to go with Geno Atkins. Who is a better pitcher who at one point was a Yankee? David Cohn or Andy Pettit? I'm going to take David Cohn in this one. I know Andy Pettit, I was obviously the World Series hero, great playoff guy, but if you actually look at David Cohn's playoff numbers, they're actually not far behind in terms of the overall playoff numbers, and I think his longevity was better as a whole. Andy Pettit had a lot of four-plus ERA years, even some of the years with Houston, too, whereas Cohn had a lot of them still in the mid-threes. It was just more steady throughout his career, so I'm going to take Cohn. I'm going to go with Cohn, too. Cohn was the better all-around player. He threw, like, four pitches. He, he's the one who created the knuckle curveball. Yes, Andy Pettit was a great playoff player, one of the greatest playoff players uh, as far as pitchers are concerned for the New York Yankees and that organization for all the winning that they've had. We talk about Andy Pettit and how great he was and how sensational of a Samaritan he was as a player. When you talk about David Cohn, he played in New York for the Mets. He played for the Yankees. He was a sensational player and a sensational pitcher, and he really took the pitching method, his pitching method, the next hemisphere. And by the way, he pitched a perfect game. When you talk about Andy Pettit, Andy Pettit never pitched a perfect game, never pitched a no-hitter. David Cohn pitched both of them. So I'm going to go with David Cohn. So that concludes Debate Wars for this week. And now we move on to Crunch Time. It's time for Crunch Time. Read the chat. Got to see the pitch. Now, 
will start this week of crunch time in college football rivalry week. Ohio State, Michigan is today. Buy or sell. Michigan will cover minus eight against Ohio State. I am going to buy it. I think this game will be very close. They're at home. Michigan's been itching to beat Ohio State. I don't think they'll win. I think Ohio State will win a close one. I think Michigan will keep it close and then blunder it on the final drive. They'll make some silly mistakes, penalties, something like that. It's going to be a close game, though. Ohio State has not been good in the trenches this year. I think Michigan's defense will keep it close for a while. They'll get some big plays. I'm going to buy they keep it close. I don't think they win the game. I think they'll still choke, but I think they keep it close. Upset Central, ladies and gentlemen. Michigan finally knocks off Ohio State, the number two seed that puts them outside looking in. And I I will say that. So I am going to go with Michigan keeping it close and winning a surprise game. So there you go. I'm going to buy that they're going to keep it close because they're going to win. Both Justin Jefferson and Debo Samuel have 100 plus receiving yards and a touchdown in their matchup this week. I will sell that. I think... I don't know if Debo Samuel has been the same overall in terms of consistency. I think the last four weeks have really started to spread the offense around more. So I don't know if he's going to be get as much of the volume. I think Jefferson will. Debo might get the touchdown. I don't know if he gets the yards in this one. So I'm gonna I think they both can do it. I, I really do. Both of them have been. Now, Samuel has been back and forth all season long. And Jefferson's getting really, really hot. He's been, uh, for the last three weeks, he's been one of the hottest wide receivers in the league. And, and his numbers, he's top fantasy in, in five or six spots. So I, I think when you look at Justin Jefferson and what he's done the last couple of weeks, I believe he'll do it. And, and Debo Samuels, I, I'm not very uh, excited about Minnesota's secondary. They have not played well the last couple of weeks, even with uh, the way they played against Green Bay, keeping Green Bay close. I mean, look how many yards uh, Aaron Rodgers threw against that secondary. So I am going to buy both of them are going to have over 100 yards. All right, we were talking about this earlier. Vladimir Tarasenko, will he be with the Blues? Buy or sell? He will play there the whole season. I am going to sell it. I know the Blues have done well this season. They're in second place right now in the Central. I'm still thinking he wants out because I still think the Blues can win without him. And it seems like he's still not happy with that. He's going to get his money no matter where he goes. So I don't think that's really an issue. I am going to sell it. I'm going to sell it too. He's not staying with the Blues. I mean, everything that's coming out of St. Louis right now is he still wants out. He has seven goals and, what, eight assists. Uh, he's playing good hockey right now with St. Louis. They're in second place in their division. I expect him to be a playoff-bound team, um, but without Tarasenko. So I am going to sell. He will not be a blue a whole season. All right, back to college football rivalry week. Oklahoma number 10, Oklahoma State number 7, the Bedlam rivalry. Buy or sell, both teams will score 30-plus points in this usually high-scoring matchup. Usually high-scoring, but I'm going to sell it this year because it hasn't really been the high-scoring Big 12 we've seen in the past. Oklahoma's won a lot of games with their defense this year, struggling against bad teams as well, and they had to make a quarterback change. Uh, your your least favorite quarterback got benched and mm-hmm. then came back in for a couple games. So what, what do we see out of him? I think Oklahoma State's going to win this game, too. I like their quarterback a little more. I think they will score 30. I don't think Oklahoma does. I'm going to sell it. I'm going to sell it, too. I don't think both teams are going to score over 30 points. I, I don't think any of them are going to score over 30 points. I think it's going to be very close, more defensively sound. I think uh, this is a game that uh, is going to be held in the trenches. I think the running games are going to be a big part of the game. So I am going to sell it. Both Joe Mixon and Najee Harris will have 100-plus rushing yards in their matchup this week. 
I will sell this. I think Mixon will. I don't think Harris does. I think the, the Steelers, I know they have a decent front seven, but again, they had a lot of issues last week against the Chargers. Even some of the Chargers backup running backs were running on them. So I think Mixon will get it. But the Bengals have stopped the run this year. Outside of the game against the Jets, they've really been pretty consistent in terms of taking out top running backs this year. And I think they're going to make the Steelers throw the ball down the field, which is not their strength. And I think they're going to get bit for it. So I'm going to sell it. I'm going to buy it. I think both players, again, uh, you went with Jefferson and obviously Samuel. I think and you sold that. I'm going to buy this one as well. I think both players are going to be able to. This game is going to be also in the trenches when you talk about both teams, Cincinnati and Pittsburgh. We know what Pittsburgh could do. They're going to run the ball in this game. They're not going to throw the ball there. They've been more of a running team this year than they were of throwing team all those other years. Uh, obviously, with an aging Ben Roethlisberger, I think th- this particular game with Joe Burrows, I think they're going to run the ball with Joe Mixon. Mixon is a guy that can slash and do things on the outside that other running backs have problems doing. Give me a buy on both of them. A lot of ex-Meth rumored to the Angels. Obviously, Noah Syndergaard just signing there. It's not a rumor anymore. He signed there, so. Marcus Stroman, uh, the latest to be rumored Jeez. there. Buy or sell, they will. Marcus Stroman will end up an LA Angel. Mm. I'll buy it. They need pitching. I think they're going to overpay for him if they do it. I think usually, usually when you have somebody like Stroman who's going to demand all this money and has that type of first half that he did, I think somebody will end up overpaying him. And I, that seems like an Angels thing to do. So I'll buy it. <laughs> I am going to sell it. I don't think Strowman's going to be an angel. I, I think he wants to stay closer to home. His family's over here. Now, I don't know where he's going to go. Maybe the Marlins. Uh, maybe uh, one of those teams. I think he's going to stay in the National League. I don't think he's going to the American League. He didn't pitch well in the American League. I think he's better off staying in the National League. Don't be su- surprised if St. Louis moves in with Steven Matz, adding more pitching to that roster. Uh, so I am going to sell that. He's not going to the Angels. All right, buy or sell. The Islanders will win two out of their next three home games at UBS Arena. They better. They better. The Sharks, Predators, and Blackhawks. They better. <laughs> I'm going to buy it. I think those are that's a manageable schedule. The Sharks and Predators are both solid teams, but nothing special. And Chicago is just horrible right now. So I can definitely see them beating Chicago. And yeah, one of those two. One of those two. Nashville's more of a defensive identity. The Islanders could win a low-scoring game against them, and the Sharks they have bad goaltending. So maybe they can. Maybe this is they the game can't the score goals. <laughs> yeah, I know. Maybe maybe they get some lucky ones. Uh, mm. I, I think they win two out of three, though. I'll buy it. They better win all three of them, okay? Uh, that's all I'm going to say. I, I'm i going to sell it because I haven't seen enough of it to explain what they have been doing offensively. They need to find a way to put the puck in the net because they have not done that for the last, I don't know, five weeks. Uh, and really since the beginning of the season. So they have scored the least amount, I think second least amount of goals in all of the NHL. Yeah. So uh, that's a huge problem. They have to find goal scoring and they have to find it quick. Uh, so I'm going to sell that. I, I can't see them winning two out of three. They better win three out of three if, if they want to be close and, and be competitive moving forward in their division. All right, two more. One college football, one NFL. So the Iron Bowl, Auburn, will cover the minus 20-point spread at home against Alabama. I am buying this one. I actually think they could win the game outright if Bo Nix was still healthy. He's not healthy, so now they got a backup quarterback. So Alabama will win the game, but Alabama's defense is still a big concern. Arkansas was scoring a lot of points, and then the last week made that game very close. I know Auburn's receiving depth is not the same as Arkansas's, but they can run the ball better. I think they have a better offensive line, and Alabama's secondary especially has shown a lot of leaks. So I'm going to buy that Auburn keeps it close. Upset Central, baby! Auburn beats Alabama. The game will be close. I I know they don't have Bo Nix. I know all that situation, but they're going to run the ball. Uh, Auburn likes to run the ball, and they can throw the ball on the outs. And and, and remember, 
Alabama has had problems in their secondary. Like you were saying, there's a lot of holes over there. I think Auburn is going to find those holes. Give me Auburn on the upset, another upset of the week. Uh, buy that and take it to the green books, if you know what I mean. All right, last Money, one. baby. Money, money, money. Last one. Matthew Stafford will have more passing yards than Aaron Rodgers in their matchup this week. Not a chance in hell. I will I will sell it. I think it'll be close. I don't think either of them will be great, but I, I think this is going to be more of a running it's game. It's in Green in Bay. It's not a chance in hell. I think it, it's in the cold. I Matthew Stafford has a plenty of experience there for sure, but again, still, I think with the Packers potentially getting Jairo. It's in their back this week. That's secondary playing well. And the, uh, the Rams, I think... They're, I don't know if they're going to be on the field a lot because I think the Packers are going to be able to run it down their throat. I think A.J. Dillon, even without Aaron Jones, I think A.J. Dillon's run the ball well, and I think they're going to play a lot of ball control in this game. And especially if Jair Alexander gets back, that should limit, not stop, but limit Cooper Cup. Not a chance in hell, okay? I don't care how good Matthew Stafford is, and I'm one of those guys back behind Matthew Stafford and his skills. I think he's a great quarterback, one of the best quarterbacks in the league. Very under to me, underrated for what he was with the Lions, and he's sensational. You see what he does with the L.A. Rams, and Cooper Cup loves him, absolutely adores him, and Odell will love him too before you know it. But uh, no way in hell. You're going to Green Bay. could be cold. could be snowy. They don't know what the weather is going to be out on Sunday. It's going to be freezing over there. It's cold over here. It's 38 degrees at night. Over there, it's probably below. I mean, there is no way he's going to outthrow Aaron Rodgers in the cold. So I'm selling, 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 and take that to the blue books. Not the green books for the money. You can take it to the blue books, baby. So there you go. What a show today. I mean, you over there in Connecticut, me here in New York, uh, you'll be back uh, this week. Thank God. I hate producing the show, by the way. Hate it. Hate being the guy. Uh, I want to concentrate on the main source, and that's being the lead on the shows. But happy that you went to see your family. I know you love your family. I know you miss your family. Uh, But uh, I'm going to be even more happier when you're back in the studios doing your job. Um, thank you to Sean Merriman for joining us, ex-Charger, ex-Buffalo Bill, and now MMA fighter and his fight team. Shout out to him and his extreme fighting company. So uh, definitely check it out. Uh, he, he, he was pretty much selling it to you guys. So if you guys haven't heard the interview, go check, us, uh, go check the interview out um, by checking out our app by going to WWSRN or Android Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Go to the podcast, the replay of the podcast of the Weekend Crunch when it goes up uh, on Sunday, and you can hear the interview. So shout out to Sean for joining us. All the fans, all the Long Island fans that listen to us, um, we will be back next week. Uh, there will be an Islander game, so we'll probably be after the Islander game. So stay tuned for us. Be ready to listen to our next guests, because I'm sure we'll have a few. Uh, very excited for the future of the show. Shout out to 103.9 and all the team over there at uh, the LI News Radio Network. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Uh, I guess that's it, Speedy. Have anything to say before we go? Oh, by the way, happy Thanksgiving to all the fans out there. Yeah, I was just going to say that. Hope everyone had a great Thanksgiving. Uh, out there no matter where you live just help you at an amazing amazing time absolutely i hope you enjoyed the show uh as as you guys know i was producing the show and uh trying to lead the show but uh, you know it is what it is uh you know once in a blue moon it's not that bad so it's not that bad but it, it, it can be bad because you're concentrating on this and everything else but uh thank you to all the fans we'll be back next week until then this is errol mark speedy Petey, and the weekend crunch saying we'll talk to you later baby <laughs>